It is 12.03 Saturday afternoon on a uh, beautiful Thanksgiving long weekend. Yep, phone lines are open. As you know, for the next hour, we're taking your calls. You have problems, issues, healthcare, pain problems. Want to hear from you? 416-870-6400. Star 640 on cell. Uh, Dr. Payne is here. Dr. Lou, you are here again for another week. Your number, by the way, will give out in just a little bit here so they can get a hold of you off air. Emails info at paincarecanada.com. How was, uh, how was the week, my friend? Week was very good, John. How was your week? Good. It was all right. What happened? Anything uh, interesting we should know about? Yeah. Uh, one very interesting case that I had that comes to mind was I had a gentleman come see me who heard the radio um, show a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. he came in to see me this past week. And when he was there uh, in speaking to him about his issue, uh, it was a lower back complaint, but a chronic issue. In speaking with him, I was able to pretty much figure out that the root cause of his problem was his depression that he had. He's been suffering from massive depression for um, years. Right. And and I knew right away because one of the first things that he said to me was he was speaking to me and he said, I caught the last little bit of your show and hearing you speak for about 30 seconds made me feel better than I had felt in the last five years of wow. speaking to my family doctor and the specialist. I've just kind of been dismissed. And that's when I said to him, I said, well, you know, clearly if that's the case, I wasn't able to do anything physically with you over the radio, but I was able to somehow, I guess, touch your mind to use mm-hmm. uh, a term, I guess. And in doing so, he, he was able to feel that relief because you were able to, to hit a psychology. And the reality is, is I think a lot of the times people are looking for validation on what they're going through because a lot of people who are in their lives may not necessarily accept what they're going through because, again, pain being so subjective that it's not something that's visible. Like if you had a tumor growing out of your, your back, it's, it's visible. There. You can see it. People right. can you know, feel sorry for you in that case. But when it comes to pain, it's something that's so subjective. And especially if pain is not affected function, which a lot of the times it doesn't, you may have full function, but ne- but not necessarily be pain-free. And so in those instances, uh, I-, I guess a lot of people around these types of patients start to judge them and almost suggest that maybe they're faking it or they're using it as a crutch. And you know what? The reality is sometimes people do as well, I'm sure. But in this case with this gentleman, I was able to talk to him and spend time with him. And I think what I got from that was that there's there's kind of a starvation uh, for people to, to be heard. And, and that's one of the things that I try to do differently with my patients is really hear them and, and talk to them and identify the root cause of the problem and not just necessarily dismiss it as, okay, here's some medication or do some rehab. But even when we use that term rehabilitation, rehabilitation doesn't necessarily just mean physical rehabilitation. It can mean mental rehabilitation and, and sociological rehabilitation. So you have to get to the root cause and you have to rehab it from the root cross. You, uh, you spoke to him. Did you give him a physical uh, examination or no. Yeah, yeah, we did go through a full So was physical. there any lower, like, why did it go to his lower back? Why was, was there also a physical problem that was exacerbated? Well, it was, by? it was an injury that happened at work, I believe it was about 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, he was a labor type of work, and then I guess just the repetitive strain of bending and twisting, he aggravated his back, uh, and he, he probably hurt a disc at the time. I'm not really sure he didn't. The, the other thing was he was very mismanaged through the system in the 20 years that he's had this. He's never even been sent for an x-ray. Right. Like, and that's basic. 
basic imaging. And oftentimes, you know, I, I will often talk to my students uh, when, when I'm teaching about uh, when clinical indications of x-rays. I'll often talk to them about not overusing x-rays. But I mean, someone who's been complaining about something for 20 years and hasn't had even an x-ray, which is low-level imaging, I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. So the, that would be, would it be fair to say that was his weak point? So if the depression got to a point where it was going to manifest itself physically, that would have been the first place it would have went, yeah? And it did. Yeah, I don't know for sure if I could, you know, if, if from an evidence standpoint, I can link that that's where it would have manifested. Yeah. And there are some schools of thought that would go down that line. Uh, the reality is, is in healthcare, you can sometimes, and not even sometimes, but a lot of the times, have more than one thing going on. You could be depressed and also hurt your back doing something. Um, and it was probably more related to the weak point of what he was doing physically in right. his job, where he was required to bend and twist, and he hurt it. The problem with the depression is it probably hindered his ability to get better. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell wine. Uh, lines are wide open. want to talk to you uh, over the next hour. You'll want to call... Uh, Dr. Louie is here to talk to you. So if you if you get someone in your clinic, I'm sure this happens all the time when you go through this uh, lengthy assessment of each patient, and you it does boil down to something that's maybe more of a psychological component. How do you deal with it? Because I always you know picture you as you know a physical type of you know, yeah. And, and guy. when I personally, if I'm gonna, I treat the patient. Right. I treat from a physical standpoint right. because as a chiropractor, that's my the only way my scope of practice allows me to treat. And I'm not a psychologist. But having said that, there's two components to being a doctor. Is there's the diagnostic component and then there's the treatment component. And a doctor's job really becomes if the diagnosis fits within what you you can treat, then you treat the patient, but you're allowed to identify other problems that are not necessarily in the scope of practice that you can treat, but you can make the appropriate referral. So in that case, that's why I've surrounded myself with the team that I have. In that case, that's a referral to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, depending whether, you know, I think the person needs more of a cognitive behavior therapy, which would lean a little little more towards the psychologist, or maybe there's indication for some antidepressants and then the psychiatrist might be the route to go. But uh, that's the type of patient that, no, I'm not going to treat them specifically myself, but I've been, I've done enough of an assessment to realize that you can identify this it. is what needs to be treated right. in order for this person to get better. And that's my goal is what is the root cause to get this person better? And, you know, if it so happens to be something that I can do from a functional perspective with physical treatment, then so be it. But even then, I don't treat a lot of patients either because I have a team of other chiropractors, mm-hmm. physios that I uh will we'll use the whole team to treat a patient versus my strength, I really do believe, is the assessment and trying to figure out what the problem is and, uh, and then managing it the right way. We'll take a uh, quick break. Uh, your phone calls, would love to hear from you. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell lines are wide open. You got problems, you got some physical uh, issues you've been dealing with, maybe haven't got any answers, give us a call. Let Dr. Lou hear about it, and uh, we'll take it from there. The Dr. Payne Show continues getting warmed up here at Talk Radio, AM 640. 12-14, Saturday, long weekend, gobble, gobble. It is the weekend for Turkey and trip defend and all that stuff, which is apparently not the reason why you fought. We'll talk about that in a different show. Uh, but, uh, yeah, phone calls, would love to hear from you. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell lines are wide open. And uh, email, it is info at paincarecanada.com. Anthony, you, uh, the brother of Dr. Lou, who you should mention, I know you're on every week, but just to, uh, just to reintroduce you, you got an email just now. We just did get just an email now. from Susie. All right. And it says, hello, Dr. Lou. Hello, Dr. Lou. Hi, Dr. Hi. My sister has <laughs> endo- <laughs> My sister has endometriosis. Is there anything that can be done for her pain besides the heavy painkillers that her doctors are pushing and that she doesn't want? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. It's uh, what happens with endometriosis is when you start to find uh, uterus tissue outside in other areas of the body. So a lot of times these women, uh, when they go through their menstrual cycle, could have bleeding also occurring in their nose. And then really? what ends up happening is they find that there's actually endometrial tissue that's formed in the nose and it all coordinates with your cycle. Um you could try some type of, uh, I guess, uh, more integrative type of therapies like acupuncture. Uh, some people that specialize in pelvic type of uh, therapy, uh, sometimes massage therapists, chiropractors will do that, even some physiotherapists. Uh, so I would say that if if the medication aspect of that, the way that she's being treated is not really working, well, there are some other things you could do, like the more holistic things, uh, where I would say acupuncture would probably be a good thing to try and also uh, some type of uh, of a professional who deals with pelvic issues, which again for Susie that is you know something that we offer at the clinic for for people suffering those types of things. So if you like Susie, give us a call at the one eight five 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 Doctor Lou number. You know, and we talk about this, and we talked about this in past shows already. That painkillers, I mean, is as effective as they can be. People just generally, when they have their wits about them, they don't want to be on them for that long. They don't like the fact of using painkillers, right? So what do, what do they do? What's the alternative? Yeah, well, you know, the, the unfortunate thing here is that I guess a lot of people don't realize there is an alternative or that there's other things that they can do in conjunction with that. We've been kind of sociologically brainwashed, I'll I'll, I'll use that term, Mm -hmm. to think that everything has to be treated with a pill and not realizing that there are a lot of these other things available to us uh, that can help along with taking the pill. Because again, I'm never for not taking medication Mm -hmm. and I'm never for having to do anything to the point where it becomes addictive to the person. And that could be medication or it could be therapy, whatever it is. I think what needs to be done is that our bodies do have an inherent ability to heal itself. We all know that if we get a cut, it heals. Mm -hmm. And there are some things that don't heal as well. Like if you have a spinal cord injury, those injuries don't tend to heal as well. But there is an inherent ability for the body to help heal itself. And I'm a big proponent of when I see patients that I always talk to a patient and I say the beginning part of a treatment plan is going to be very much passively focused, which means the things that the practitioner is going to do, whether it's me or someone part of my team. And over the course of treatment, what I want to do is have less of that passive uh, involvement of the practitioner and more the active involvement of the person actually right. in in the pain or ha- sustaining the injury. And whether that's in the form of more specific rehabilitation exercises or changing their diet or whatever it may be, there has to be a kind of a switch where once you get towards the end of the treatment plan, there's a lot being done by the patient and being guided by the practitioner. And, and that, that's kind of the relationship. In the beginning, it's very much the practitioner telling you what to do, doing things to you. And as time goes on, we're educating, we're giving advice so that that way that person learns. And a lot of it goes back onto themselves so that they can go day to day and and have the relief that they need day to day. Because like I said to you before, you can come see us every day for an hour every day. There's still 23 hours in every day that you're on your own. You have to be doing the right thing. I think it, it involves homework because, you know, pills as readily available as they are and as, as, as well as they may work. I mean, it's the path of least resistance. So that's why people. Often yeah, just- for sure. It's, you know, and, and when you actually look at I guess from an economic standpoint, the price of a pill is probably cheaper than the price of these other things. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, that's a factor that comes into play too. And you're absolutely right. It's it's a little bit of an easier approach to remember I have to take this pill versus, you know, when, sometimes when I have someone with, let's call let's say neck pain, and I'll recommend to them when they're at work on their computer, I want An them to get up machine, every right? 20 yeah. minutes and just move around. 
That's all I'm asking them to do because my standpoint is that no posture is good posture. We, we are meant to be dynamic. And this whole thing about what's good posture and what's bad posture, it to me is, is kind of BS in a way because what we need to be doing is changing our postures constantly because that's what we're made for. We're made to be dynamic. And so I'll tell people something as simple as get up every 20 yeah. minutes, but that takes a lot more commitment. That's now you're getting up three times an hour versus taking one pill for eight hours. So, right. right so what's easier for a person to accept? But the reality is the people who listen to that simple advice of get up every 20 minutes are the people that are better and the people who are taking those pills are the people who might be chronically addicted to them and there's tons of people that i meet and it's crazy when i meet them and they say yeah i'll take uh whatever pill three times a day and i'll say how does and and it doesn't do anything well why are you still taking it right like uh, people constantly get into this routine of doing something that doesn't help them and they keep doing it and that may even be again the same thing if they say yeah i go for massage every every week okay and how does it feel doesn't help well then why are you doing it stop wasting your money (laughs) so so there's a component of do the stuff that is actually going to help you and there's a lot and the problem is 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 to a lot of the practitioners out there giving the wrong advice. That's one of my big things for doing what I'm doing is I do truly believe that education advice is the key to getting people better and people need to understand this stuff about healthcare. And that's why me and my team are so focused on proper assessments, getting to the root cause, identifying it, and making the proper suggestion for plan and management. The number is one eight five 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 Doctor Lou. That's the number you want to take uh, when the show is over. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou. As far as phone calls are concerned, they're wide open. Give us a call here on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. The Doctor Payne Show four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. Doctor Payne will return. Talk radio AM six forty twelve twenty three. Doctor Payne Show four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. Your phone calls uh, waiting for him. The phone lines are wide open. You got uh, questions about pain or any other healthcare questions for uh, for Doctor Lou? He is here to to uh, answer those for you. It's something we were talking about off air, and I think is really 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 interesting. We were talking. Well, we got into the conversation about low back pain and people carry it around for years, and the fact that you know there's an article coming out or at least came out earlier this week that said. Uh, a lot of clinics and doctors and researchers have now come to the uh, the point where it's physically not likely that humans will live past 100. You get the odd person like, uh, you know, Jean Camay in, in France back in 97. She was 122. Mm-hmm. But they said that's very rare. We're getting close to the, the pushing the envelope of, of human, uh, human longevity. That got the conversation going between you and I saying, you know, everybody's so much, or how would you say it, as opposed to length of, length yeah, of life as opposed to Yeah, people are often right? focused, and, and a lot of the resources that we have in healthcare are put towards extending the quantity of somebody's life and very little of those resources and very little of people's attention is is put towards the quality of their lives and that's where pain management kind of falls under kind of falls more under the quality of life than Mm -hmm. it does necessarily the quantity of life but that's the problem here because you know yeah and i and i think i said this one of the times one of our first shows would you rather live to 100 with poor quality of life or live to 60 with great quality of life right, right? and i think most people out there would probably say well you know 60 with good quality of life is uh is pretty important and pain and func- pain often affects your function uh, so if you're unable, like we were talking about you with John, when you had your back injury, you couldn't even bend down to tie your shoes. No. Well, what does that do to somebody who has that chronic pain and can't even tie their shoes and has to plan their lives around not bending? And how many aspects of life does that affect? Bending and squatting is is a big component oh, of yeah. everything that we, even from tying your shoes to going to the washroom to sitting in a car to get somewhere, it's so it would affect so many parts of your life that what does that do to the quality of your life 
right? And then not only does it affect the quality of your life, but then it affects the quality of the life of people who are around you that are saying, well, I'm going to help out. And, you know, and I think most kids out there, most spouses want to help out if they can, but it does take a tax. Absolutely does. For sure on anybody. I saw it when, when my dad was sick and we were all doing our part. It takes a taxing role on the people that are around you trying to help out. And, and yeah, that, I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't help out. Uh, but, you know, when it's something like pain and there's so much that could be done that a lot of people don't realize and they're just letting it affect the function and the quality of their lives, they're not also realizing that it's fe- affecting the quality of life of the people around them that they love. So, you know, do something about it. Like, do, you, you, you should have the onus on yourself that you're not only doing it for yourself, you're doing it for the people that you love. Like one of the things when you try to get people to quit smoking uh, is you'll talk to them. Like if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for the people that you love because they need you around. And right. And right. so the same thing, quality of life, being able to throw a ball with your kid is very important. It, it, it's psychological, right? We should be happy. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sound lines are open. Your calls, uh, inviting them right now. Yeah, it's like if you want to live uh, to be 85 feeling fantastic or another 15 years where you're, you're stuck, you know, in a wheelchair, you can't bend over. I mean, think about it, right? I wouldn't want that. Yeah, and you know, there's sometimes circumstances where there's nothing you could do about it and you may mm-hmm. be stuck in a wheelchair. And But I'm I'm specifically speaking more about the people who have just let things go and haven't really done anything about it except what they think is the only option, which is just pop in a pill or whatever it is. Right. And they've never tried to get it. And some people also say, oh, it's too late. I've had this for too long. Nothing's going to be able to help me. Well, that's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong attitude to have. There's still things that can be done. If, again, you're getting assessed by the proper person and they're making the proper recommendations. And a lot of the times the people that I see, I'm very realistic with them because I may see somebody and that's it's been such a chronic issue. And I'll talk to them about the goal here is not to get you back to 100% because sometimes 100% is not even possible sure. anymore, right? But a lot of times people say to me, I don't want 100%. If I can even just have a few hours of the day, midday where I'm pain-free and I can at least go outside and have a walk with my wife, I'd be cope. the happiest person alive. Yeah. And and it's such a re- and and identifying patients' goals is another important component of the assessment. What is it that you want out of this? What are you looking for? And lo- and you have to talk with the patient, engage realistically right? So if someone used to be a gymnast and they're now 60 years old, well, you're probably not going to be a gymnast again, but will you be able to still enjoy a round of golf or go out and play tennis with your friends? There's still a possibility, right? And so it's all about goals and what the patients really want to achieve. And, And a lot, and more often than not, I see that people are realistic in what their goals really are. I mean, your your entire this entire show is about treating pain and getting people you know better within their their functional capability. But where do you stand? And a lot of this has been in the news lately. Um, where do you stand on um, end of life legislation, doctor assisted? Yeah, I think it's it's an important thing that we have available to us. And and again, I I think this goes back to like our conversation last week with marijuana for pain. And now mm-hmm. we're I'm I'm always the type of person where I'm. I like to look at everything from different perspectives. And some people would argue that it's wrong. Other people would argue that it's good. I don't know that I could say as a general consensus, yes, always or no, always. I would say that it always comes down to the individual case. And that's what's more important because I think what the problem will be is people abusing it that may not necessarily need to end their life, but want to just because they want to end it versus someone who, you know, has 
stage four terminal cancer, everything's been done, they're on palliative care, and instead of living those last two weeks miserably, you can end it, well, then maybe in that case, there's justification for it. Yeah, I was, but, I was just going to say... How every... do you find the line between yeah. someone who just says, if we go down that line where we say, you know, stage four cancer, terminal palliative care, nothing can be done, and we dismiss someone who says they're severely depressed... Right. And all we're doing is we're creating we're continuing to create that stigma where we're saying, well, physical is more important than psychological. But to that person who's severely depressed that wants that end of life, it may just be as important for them. So it's a very uh, tricky thing to find your way around. And, yeah, I can't say definitively, definitively myself that I can go one way or another. Mm -hmm. I think it's a debate that needs to continue to be had and we need to find uh, a common ground and, and and we need to specify very strict rules around it, I think, so that it's not abused. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. We'd love to hear from you uh, right up till 1 o'clock this afternoon. A lot of stuff on this show to be covered, man. Dr. Payne show again, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. More Dr. Payne Show coming up. Talk radio, AM 640. 1233, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Love to hear from you till 1 o'clock on a long weekend Saturday. Gorgeous weather out there. And uh, one of the places you don't want to be today, if you can avoid it, is an emergency room, urgent care, or a walk-in clinic. Um, the use of each one. Describe mm-hmm. when you use, how you use each one. For pain management? Yeah. Uh, I guess it would come down to what area of Mm -hmm. the body is suffering from uh, pain. So let's take example, something like a headache. Um, Oftentimes headaches can be the first sign of something like a stroke. It's often described that when it is, people usually say something uh, like it's the worst headache that they've ever felt, along with other symptoms that would go along with stroke. So you start to feel a bit of paralysis in your body or numbness, tingling, a side of your face is droopy, you're slurring your speech, all these types of neurological things and headache, that's probably you're calling 911 and you're going straight right, to okay. to an emergency room uh, versus let's say you have a headache and it's just pounding, sensitivity to light, um, and you know you have a history of migraines and your medication is out and you need to get a refill for specifically those migraines, then that's probably somewhere where you can use a walk-in clinic or an urgent care center versus the majority of headaches, which are mainly tension-based headaches. And these are the ones that people say, it starts kind of in the back of my neck or shoulders and it'll radiate into my head. And and they'll... These are people that will start to move their neck around a lot. And, and really what's happening there is the headache is being caused from the neck or the muscles around that area. And those muscles going back to referred pain, which mm-hmm. we've talked about, will refer pain into the head. And so that's the instance when it's that type of a headache, a rehab clinic is probably going to be the best place to go. Because if you went to the emergency room or the walk-in clinic, they're not there to assess that type of stuff. And even with the more serious things like something like a stroke in progress, We've had patients at our clinic that have come in and think that they have a headache that might be tension-based, and really it's a stroke in progress, and we're calling 911, sending them to the hospital. So the important thing is that you're going somewhere where there's people who have the right ability to assess anything and realize the appropriate referral points. And because that's something that when I'm teaching to my students that I go through a lot as well is appropriate referral channels that we have. And when do you use 911 versus when do you use an urgent care clinic versus when do you use a rehab clinic? And so that's just the example of a headache. But, you know, there's any other type of injury. You know, if you break a bone, you're playing something and you hear a pop and you can you see there's your legs crooked or something. That's obviously emergency room. Right. Versus you may have 
fallen and just got a really deep cut, you probably need stitches. An urgent care center can. Right. And, and you know, it's the proper use of these types of facilities that would really help relieve a lot of the burden That's off the of the thing. system that we have. And a lot of the things that people are going for to walk in clinics that are pain related, like they've, if they've twisted their ankle a little bit at, uh, during a sporting event, they'll go to a walk-in clinic. All you're doing is putting a burden on the OHIP system. That's where the mm-hmm. rehab clinics are going to be much better suited to identify these things and treat them properly. Because the reality is, you know what ends up happening? They end up referring you to the rehab clinic. Of course they do, the next day. So skip, yep. skip the step, right? 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Harry in uh, Mississauga. Good afternoon, Harry. How are you? Good afternoon, Brian. Thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm excellent. Uh, you have a question for Dr. Uh, Dr. Lou? Yeah. Um, you know, my girlfriend, uh, she suffers a lot from headaches. Um, she goes uh, headaches at least three times a, a, a week. Uh, I know recently, in the last year and a half, two years, she got diagnosed with lupus. But even before the lupus, she just it, continuously suffers a lot from headaches. And, you know, it's... It's always Advil, Advil, Advil. Is mm-hmm. something else we can do? Is there somewhere else that we can we can go and, and, and get some tests done to find out what is causing all these headaches with her? Yeah. So, again, a lot of the times when you look, there's a classification for headaches. And the way headaches are classified is they're classified as the things that are benign versus the things that are malignant, like, you know, brain tumor or a hemorrhage can mm-hmm. cause a headache. And so once those things are ruled out, they fall under the benign category. And even with migraines, cluster headaches, things that have more of a vascular nature to them, there's always uh, a musculoskeletal component to most headaches with the tension component of the shoulders. And it sounds like what Harry's saying here is that his girlfriend who has suffered from these headaches has suffered from these headaches and all she's ever tried is medication. Oh, Harry didn't yeah, like what we had to that's say. That's okay. He's probably <laughs> listening on the outside. Um, so. And so, you know, there's probably a component where she's probably never had her neck or her upper back treated. And so that may not necessarily be the full answer to the headache, but oftentimes when you're treating these headaches and because a lot of them will kind of spill over. So even with migraines, a lot of the times there's a tension component. You have to also treat the tension component in order to really remove the headaches. And that's what it sounds like, especially with the history of lupus that he mentioned. There's obviously an autoimmune component there, which to me could suggest that there's probably a migraine component. But a, a big aspect of lupus is also its musculoskeletal manifestations. It manifests in the body, in the, in, in the way of tight muscles and tense muscles. And so that may be causing her headache as well. And you have to treat that. We'll take a, a quick break. Uh, phone calls. Here you go. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on cell. Told you you're going to get answers. Give us a call at uh, Dr. Payne. Dr. Lou, deal with it here on the Dr. Payne Show. On Talk Radio, AM640. Yeah, we got open lines. You want to give us a call? You got a question or comment for uh, for Dr. Lou? We'd love to take it here. If you need his number outside of the show hours, it's 1 855 Dr. Lou. Feel free to give him a call for an assessment or info at paincarecanada.com. We talk about this, and uh, you know, I know you and I have talked about it off air before, and this is people with getting better. You know, you've, you give advice, you give treatment, but how, you know, the, the term willpower, what do you think about that? I believe in it, but some people don't think it has any yeah. merit whatsoever. When I, when I was doing my uh, clinical year as a, as a resident, mm-hmm. uh, my first um, clinician, uh, one of the things that it stuck with me, that's, you know, and a lot stuck with me, but this stuck with me the most was on the first day he said to me, or not just to me, but to our pod, the group of students yep. that he, he had. He said, for your sanity, remember that you can only help somebody as much as they want to be helped. Right. And it kind of was like there were a lot of things going on, on in my life at that time outside of healthcare. But I remember thinking that's so true for everything in life, that 
you know, because you'll have family members that you try to have dialogue with. You want them to change the way they do something for the better, et cetera, et cetera. And even with patients, you want them to change. But at the end of the day, if they're not willing to change, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to say or that anybody's going to be able to say that will make them get better. So, yeah, willpower is huge. They, The person that is suffering from whatever they're suffering from has to want to get better. And it's a big deal when someone comes in and the first thing that they say is, I'll never be better because that's already – you're shooting yourself in the foot right you're you're doing it to yourself like you're that type of person that's doing it to yourself and those are the people that are not only probably going to say that i couldn't help them they'll say that anybody that's ever talked to them couldn't help them because again it's their own disposition it's their own willpower that they haven't been willing to say i can do this and there's a big difference psychologically between a patient that you meet that says i want to get better versus a patient that you meet that says I'll never get better. Right. I and mean, it's, it's the old, you know, lead a horse to water but can't make him drink type of thing. Right? Exactly. I believe yeah. everybody. I mean, I've, I've, I've been told and I've heard people say that even when it comes to quitting smoking, there's those who are addicted to the act of smoking and those who are addicted to the chemical of smoking. Right. And the latter is the tougher one to beat. I smoked for many years. I just turned around and said, this is gross. I'm sick of it. I never turned back. How'd you quit? Because it's easy to quit something you no longer enjoy. That's right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. For but sure. some people just seem to, they can't, they can't quit. Yeah. Right? Because again, there is that habitual component to it where, you know, the actual way of putting a cigarette in your mouth, taking a breath in and blowing it out. Right. And a lot of the new technology around quitting smoking is trying to target keeping the habit but removing the dangerous chemicals and so i've met people that have had great success with that a friend of mine actually uh we were golfing a few weeks ago and he and he had that and he's been smoking for years and uh and he said this thing's awesome he's tried the nicotine patch before he's tried the other things and it didn't help as much as this because this was helping to affect the habitual component versus the addiction component but you're absolutely right something that you hate is very easy to give up versus something that you still enjoy you know, when it comes to exercise, and I know obviously with the, the physical rehab component in your clinic, it's a, it's a massive thing is getting people moving. As you mentioned earlier, posture of any sort is bad. Just the body wants to keep moving at all times. And a friend of mine who's not a clinician, he's not a doctor, said to me one time, and I think you'll, you'll probably believe this. He said, you know, people are so stuck on seeing what you look like when you exercise, when you work out, seeing the physical on the outside. And he said to me brilliantly one time, and I thought it was awesome, he said, worry about the inside, the outside will take care of itself. Yep. For right. Sure. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah. Well, it goes back to the the clinical case that I was talking to you about when we first started here. This person, this person did have a low back injury, mm-hmm. uh, but it would have been an injustice for me to treat that injury without getting his mind healthy first, right? Because if your mind's not healthy, how can you have the disposition to want to get better physically? Because it's not just about what I can physically do to him, but going back to the component of the active component that he would have to do, he needs to get in check himself in terms of his mind it has to be healthy and and that's a big thing you have to get those other components healthy in order for other things to follow and for sometimes people getting physically and you know there are times where there's people who are overweight and they are able to lose weight and that also changes Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of their life and i think again it goes back to a lot of, of individuals being healthy it is encompassing of all things, whether it's mentally, physically, and uh, and socially. 416-870-6400-STAR-640 on cell is the number. you got uh, some time here to give us a call. You have some concerns, health concerns, call Dr. Louis here until 1 o'clock. Acupuncture. Uh, I, I tried it years ago, years ago again because of my lower back problem. I know it's something that uh, you have people in your clinic do. Um, how does it work? Explain it. Because, I mean, when you see it physically, it's something out of a Wes Craven movie. It's like yeah. people's needles sticking out of their body, right? Yeah, and, I, and I'll explain it from the perspective 
perspective that I've studied it, right. uh, acupuncture is obviously traditionally based around traditional Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. and they had something called meridian systems in the body. So they have different lines that correspond to the gallbladder and to the small intestine, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm probably not the best person to explain that component of how acupuncture works. But when I studied acupuncture at McMaster Medical School, what we studied was something called medical acupuncture. And really what it was more focused around was that you're using the needles and you're putting them in specific areas of the body where you want to have an effect, whether it's a joint, a muscle, uh, a nerve. And in doing so, you're having lots of different effects because when you're putting a needle in the bottle, there's an effect on the blood in that area. So just the very nature that blood comes to that area mm-hmm. would help that area to heal. There's also a neurological component uh, where we've, I think, talked before about the gate control theory of pain that, you know, sometimes people have a certain level of pain right. and something like an electrical therapy machine, you introduce a new level in order to make that level that they are at seem much lower. So there's so many things that happen with acupuncture and it really the way I've done it in terms of the medical acupuncture and the way I know how to explain it is you're using those needles to go into an area of the body where you want to have a desired effect sometimes I'll even use it to rehab specific muscles so when we take the example of the low back every area of the body has what's called stabilizing muscles and they're not necessarily the prime movers the ones that we're used to that make us move around but in the back there's these tiny little muscles called multifidi and one of the keys with low back rehabilitation is getting those multifidi rehabilitated. And so with the acupuncture needles, I can actually go into those multifidi and stimulate it with electrical current so that I can actually get the muscle pulsating. And in pulsating, that's like the muscle is exercising where mm-hmm. that would be much harder for the person to do on their own because it's hard for them to activate those muscles. And there are ways with different core exercises, and I use that in conjunction, but that's one of the ways that we will use acupuncture and medical acupuncture. So it's very much evolving. And what's actually interesting is when you look at the medical acupuncture that I do in the research around it, the traditional Chinese medicine, whether they knew it or they didn't know it, the points correspond to the same points that they're using. So they may not have necessarily known that they were going into a muscle, a joint, or what they were trying to do, but somehow they were right about it. And so there's something to be said even about the traditional Chinese approach. And there are people in, in my clinic that practice that way as well. So j- doing it that way with the, uh, with, the, with the needles into those small little muscles is going to affect you different than, say, you know, getting down and deadlifting 300 pounds. You're affecting different muscles, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, with the thing with rehabilitation exercises, oftentimes the hardest people that you have to give rehab exercises to are the, are the gym buffs because they're right. used to doing these hard, complex exercises, yeah. heavy weights. And a lot of rehab exercises are very low level things that you don't realize. Like I've had people who are bodybuilders and they could literally sit there and do a thousand crunches. But then the moment I ask them to do a plank to rehabilitate the low bank, the low back, they can't hold that plank for even 20 seconds. So there's a difference between a muscle, someone looking visibly strong and whether the important muscles are actually strong and healthy. And it's not even just about strong. It's about, are they healthy and healthy means, are they pliable? Do they contract when they have to contract, et cetera, et cetera. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Got a few minutes. If you got any concerns or questions about, well, acupuncture or anything else having to do with your physical condition, the Dr. Payne show continues. Talk radio, AM 640. 1253. Got a couple minutes uh, left till the top of the hour and we wrap for another week here on the dr pain show info at paincarecanada.com and your number uh, dr lou anytime one 855 doctor lou 
uh, when we're done and moving forward. If people need to get a hold of you at the clinic, uh, you know, you talk a lot about uh, the stuff. We've covered a lot of topics so far in the weeks that we've been on. We'll do a lot more as the weeks come and go. And I mean, you got a lot of knowledge. So some people, maybe they don't have a physical problem, but they're thinking, you know what? That sounds like a pretty cool career. Mm-hmm. What, talk about the education requirements to, to, to get into the thing that you do. Well, specifically for, I guess, me as a chiropractor, because I can speak very mm-hmm. specifically of that. I also teach at the chiropractic college, so I'm teaching the new generation of students coming through. Uh, but in order to do this, what it basically is, is a four-year, you have to do a four-year undergrad degree, mm-hmm. uh, similar to most professional programs. Then you have to apply to the college. Uh, and if you get accepted, it's another four years wow, no of kidding. intense training of all everything from anatomy. There's just in anatomy, they'll do about 2000 hours in just anatomy training, physiology, pathology, microbiology. It's medical school with our focus. When you go into this route is more the treatment because our treatment is more on the physical perspective. We'll the treatment component of the education is focused more on um, the the physical type of modalities, uh, but there are also we have we do have toxicopharmacology classes and understanding the interaction with medications, et cetera, et cetera. So most of the rehab type of professions have anywhere from six to ten years, depending. You know, physios uh, uh, usually around six years, chiropractic's eight years, uh, even massage therapy is a two year college program that I, you can do straight out of. Uh, high school. Um, And then, you know, a a physician specializing in pain probably has their four years of med school followed by uh, a few years of their residency in that specific. uh, It's a lot of learning. It's a lot of learning. Yeah, for sure. It's not easy to get into the rehab world. We get to uh, Dave in lovely Niagara. Dave, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. No problem. You have a question or a comment for Dr. Lou? Go ahead. Yeah, Dr. Lou, uh, quick question for you. The um, acupuncture, can it Assist in the relieving the pain associated with arthro. I'm sorry, osteoarthritis is what I'm trying to say. Of what area of the body? Uh, mostly the neck and uh, the knees. And the knees, yeah. So uh, actually, the, the 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 back, like the uh, you know the lower back. The up- the, the oh. upper back, uh, around the shoulders. And that. The upper shoulders, yeah. So a lot of the times with the osteoarthritis in the upper back component, what will happen is the muscles around that area are get tense, and that's actually what's causing more of the pain versus the actual degeneration of the vertebrae. And, yes, that's when you would use acupuncture from a perspective where you use it in the muscles to stimulate the muscles, activate them, and get them healthy. And when you use the example of the knee, one of the things that I do, if when, when surgeons go in and do arthroscopic, knee surgery they'll usually go into the dimples of the knee uh, i don't know if people yeah kind of on the sides and they'll go in there and they're just scoping it and they kind of clean out the meniscus a little bit in the joint well one of the things with acupuncture that we can do is you put needles into that area similar to a surgeon would cut in that area and there's been a lot of research around the two and the outcomes tend to be very similar because then you could stimulate it with electrical current uh, so you've, had, and, you've and, had success with doing this then huh Yes, tons of success with uh, with any type of OA, different parts of the body. But specifically with the knee and, and what I was just talking about, there is actually a lot of research around that, and it does uh, seem to help a lot. And one of the other things with the knee is also use the acupuncture to stimulate the vastus medialis, which is one of the quadricep muscles, which is the primary stabilizer of the knee, analogous to when I was speaking of the multifidi being the stabilizer right. of the low back. So we would also stimulate that muscle. So, yeah, there's been good success uh, with arthritis for arthritic type conditions. And how about the upper back, uh, like the, the, the neck? and uh... Yeah, same thing. So where you would affect, again, uh, that the muscles 
are probably tense in that area and so you have to relieve the muscles so a lot of the acupuncture would probably go towards uh, the different muscles whether it's the traps the rhomboids the paraspinals and trying to get those muscles to relax Okay, great. Thank yeah. you, doctor. No problem. Dave, appreciate that. See, it's, it's, it's interesting how acupuncture always affects the, the peripheral around the actual problem, right? The muscle supporting and leading into the actual joint or whatever, right? Yeah, it's, it'll affect the neurology. It affects the hormones in that area. It affects the vascular component. It's, it's the whole aspect of putting in uh, a needle, right, that, that right. seems to be beneficial. I remember there was a, a research article that actually looked at osteoarthritis of the knee, and what they had was two groups of patients and some actually went underwent the surgery where they actually had the slits on either side of the dimples got scoped and then there was another group where they just merely cut those areas but they didn't actually go right. in and scope it and the outcomes were similar between the two groups and so now you have to figure out okay well what was it that was it the perception that they thought they had surgery or was it the fact that you induced some type of microtrauma in that area so it's very interesting that um you know, the psychological aspect as much as also having a small effect on the body. Which is why you keep saying you got you to gotta take care of both those when it comes to absolutely. the body, right? Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, get to, uh, we have time for one more call. I don't know if we do right now. I think we're pretty much done for the day. But in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of uh, Dr. Lou outside the show, again, that number one eight five 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 doctor lou Email simple info at paincarecanada.com. We're back at it next weekend right here on Talk Radio AM 640.